Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. I'm delighted today to have George Jedic on. He's a specialist in the channel and in predicting which channel partners are likely to work out and which ones aren't. George, would you mind just giving a very quick introduction to your background and what qualifies you to talk on the subject? Hello, everybody. My name's George Jejitz, and I've been working in the developing channels for the last 20 years or so. I came into the industry uh, with a company called Intergraph in the CAD-CAM sector and helped them to develop their channels from scratch in Europe and then also help them to develop their channels in other parts of the world. After that, I uh, decided to set up my own company, Foster McCallum. I ran that for 15 years and uh, sold that a couple of years ago now. And the sort of clients that we help there to either recruit partners or assess their existing partners to figure out how to get the most out of them range from the very large to the very small. So on the large side, we had companies like Cisco, IBM. And on the small side, there were companies who were startups. Some had been in business for a few years, had been selling direct, and now wanted to establish a partner channel. So that's the background to me and the sort of work I've been uh, involved in. Thank you. So George, tell me, what I see a lot of is vendors behaving selfishly out in the market. Tell me, why is that a busted flush in terms of a strategy? And what's a better approach? A lot of vendors uh, think they've got the best product on the marketplace and people are just going to flock to them and you know, want to be their partners. And that's not the case. You know, it doesn't matter what your brand is and how strong your product is and how good your value proposition is, you really need to understand the profile of your partner's business and whether it makes sense for them to engage with you. So what I see a lot of is people not doing that homework, engaging partners where the relationship's never never going to really work. One of the things we always looked for was, could what the vendor had complement what the partner had today? and help make their business better. So this sort of arrogant approach of not thinking about your partner and their part, your partner's business, their ambitions, where they're going with their business, do, are you a good fit for them, is often missed out. And it's just a complete waste of time when you engage without having done that homework. I'm curious, how much does it typically cost to go through that process, whether they work out or not? Just that identification, recruitment, selection, onboarding process for them to then go dark. It's um, pretty similar to recruiting and hiring an individual. So just identifying the right partner and getting to that sort of first meeting and perhaps getting to a yes before starting the enablement it could easily cost you ten dollars to $15,000. And then there's the enablement process. Generally speaking, if the partner is working with perhaps a, a higher-end product, which has a six to nine-month sales cycle, you, know, you can spend a, an entire year before realizing whether it's going to work or not. And when you add up the costs of the time that the vendor invests and the time the partner invests, it's pretty serious. Absolutely. I mean, we did 
some research speaking to clients across the globe. And for enterprise, they were spending an average of around $40,000 per pursuit, win or lose. Now, when you start taking into account that their win rates before we started working with them were you know, 1 in 20 to 1 in 12, that's an astronomical amount of hidden cost of sale. And then when you multiply that out across all their partners, you're talking about a shed load of money being left on the table. What's the solution to that? The solution is, you first of all, you really need to understand who your target customer is. And then you need to find partners who either have those types of customers as their own customers today so that they could take the vendor's solution and uh, introduce it. Then you need to really understand the profile of the partner there are sort of three aspects of that profile. The business part, which is all about how long has the partner been in business? What's their revenue profile been like? Are they growing as a business? Are they flat? Are they declining? How many years they've been in business? How many employees they have? Those types of things. And perhaps their geographic coverage. So do they just operate in France or, or, or do they also have offices in other parts of Europe? So that's the sort of business side. Then we also look at the markets that they serve and the types of customers they serve. So are they specialists in any particular industry? Financial services, perhaps. Are their customers small to medium-sized enterprises? And then the final bit we look at is on their technology experience and their technology partnerships and split those up into which ones are complementary and which ones are competitive. It's important to understand both of those things because, say, for example, you're looking for a partner who's going to work in and sell your business intelligence product, you may want to have somebody who has some sort of complementary technology like ERP or accounting, which would make a nice complement to that. So those three areas of the profile are incredibly important. Absolutely. So... Again, how do you cut through the propaganda, the, you know, the fog, to get to the truth of what a partner is going to be like when you bring them on board? So when you've got that profile, you then have to search the marketplace for companies that match that profile. And you have to create a shortlist. And if you're looking, say, to recruit five or 10 partners, your shortlist has got to be at least 20 times bigger. So there's a big shortlist out there. And then you have to contact and qualify those companies. You have to speak to them and find out whether what you found out from your uh, research into their profile and the background of their business is, is fact or fiction. And you need to ask the right questions and qualify them very hard before going any, any further. In terms of the peer-to-peer -peer relationship between vendor and partner, what I've often seen is that management on both sides tends to be somewhat at arm's length, and it's the channel manager dealing with the salespeople or with the consultants. How do you get people to actually operate at a strategic level as well as a tactical level? You have to demonstrate to the partner what, what is the value proposition of a partnership with the vendor. And there are sort of the soft aspects of that, you know, with all the sort of nice fluffy things that you, you can do. But the real bottom line is what's in it for me. 
And you have to be able to prove that in a business return on investment model. When you do that, and you can show, demonstrate to the partner that, say, over a three-year period, there's a serious return on investment, then you get the attention of the senior management. A lot of vendors make the mistake of going in and talking to the technical people about their product and getting their interest. We found that's disastrous. You have to engage first with the business decision makers, the CEO, the business development director, those sorts of people. And if they like, if they buy into the business proposition, then they will involve the technical people. If you do it the other way around, the technical people will spend time, they'll take it to their management, and the management will say, look, stop wasting your time here. We're not going in that direction. Why are you talking to these people? And you end up getting yourselves uh, a bad name. Assuming that you've brought the partner on board, what's the upfront contract that you need to have in place with the owners of the partner in order to ensure clear communication, the ability to escalate, honesty within the relationship, what the boundaries and expectations are? Do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. You need a business plan. There's the generic contract with the general terms and conditions and so on. But then there needs to be an attachment or a schedule, an appendix, which is the business plan. And that needs to be agreed as part of signing up the partner. The most important part of that business plan is the sales plan. So what sales are you going to make in the coming year, quarter by quarter, What kind of marketing activities are going to happen to build up a sufficient pipeline to enable that to happen? And very much that sales plan needs to be tied to the business return on investment. So if you're showing a partner how many sales need to be made to achieve a decent return on investment, that needs to be connected to that business plan and to that sales plan. This then raises the other question, which is really important. I'm curious how many vendors really spend time working with the partner's sales team, training them how to sell their particular product. Because what I see a lot of is people operating by basically winging it and have different sales language, different sales methodologies, that they operate differently. So they're at odds with one another. If a vendor really wants to get mindshare and wallet share from the partnership, then I think they need to work in concert with their partners and train together. Are you seeing this happen at all? It's rare. The right way of doing it is, first of all, you have to make sure that people that the vendor is going to train on the partner side, the salespeople, have the basic sales skills. Very often, they don't. So things can fail from there. So you have to pre-qualify those people. And then if they don't have the sales skills, don't train them, basically. Make sure they get the basic training done first. Then you can move on and start to train the partner's salespeople how to sell that vendor's products, how to position them, make sure that people understand who the competition out there is, how to deal with, around specifically around that vendor's offering. And in terms of creating that common language, that common sales approach to make sure that everybody understands what 
needs to happen for it to qualify as a prospect, to advance the sale, midwifing deals, pipeline management, prospecting. Are you seeing any real alignment happening out there? Yes, there needs to be a common language. There needs to be a common understanding of, of where an opportunity is in the, in the sales pipeline. Otherwise, we see it a lot. You know, the, a good channel account manager from the vendor goes into a partner, talks to the salespeople, goes through an audit of their sales pipeline, and you find out that you know, from the 20 or 30 prospects that they think they have, most of them are suspects, and maybe one or two are somewhere in a true prospect pipeline. See that a lot. What happens then is you end up with a bulge at the bottom or the top of the pipeline and it gets constipated and it means that forecasting must be awful. When you've been working with clients initially, how accurate or probably inaccurate was their forecasting? On the partner side, in general, the forecasting is poor. But then again, sometimes the vendor themselves, the methodology and techniques they use for forecasting are very suspect as well. What I see is really a lack of discipline between the vendor and the partner in their sales process. Well, this is really interesting. I was talking to one of my MSP clients yesterday, and they were passed a lead by the vendor. And it was clear when I was coaching her that actually this was a fishing trip where they were essentially using it to benchmark and beat up their existing supplier. And why is it that vendors do this? Because it just strikes me. Either it's incompetence or lack of spine. Why would anybody pass on such a bad lead and tie up a scarce and expensive valued resource in an opportunity that is never going anywhere? One of the problems that I saw early on was that the, in the vendor's community, so I mean their sales community, direct sales would always go and grab the juiciest leads. And then anything else which was left over got tossed over to the channel. And it was generally poorly qualified. And, but they did that in the hope that uh, the partner might qualify it and uh, do something with it. And consequently, vendors got a very bad reputation on that side. And you heard a lot of complaints from the channel about, you know, give me qualified leads. Don't send me the dross. Well, this then comes to... Another critical point, which is in channel sales, the only currency you really have are trust and influence. You don't have any power. So how can vendors really build trust with their partners? I think they have to go, and especially in the beginning of the relationship, it's important to help the partner through the entire sales process from start to finish. And not just the sales process, but also the implementation process. Mm. So best practice out there is work with your partner to identify a good prospect. That prospect can come from within the partner, or if one can't be found from within the partner's own activities, then the vendor needs to invest in some sort of lead generation program to get some prospects through the pipeline. And then the channel manager needs to work very closely with the partner salespeople to qualify that prospect, go to the meetings, support them with 
in throughout the entire sales process, you know, whether it, if that requires building a, an initial proposal, helping them with the pricing, with the configuration, all of those things. And learn on the job gives the partner the chance to learn on the job and see how it's done properly. There's a problem with this, which I've uh, seen very frequently, which is that the partners don't want to let on to the vendor channel manager who the customer is. And they're reluctant. They want to keep them at arm's length because they just don't trust them. So what do you suggest vendors can do in order to overcome that? And is that a problem that starts in the recruitment phase? Or is it something that evolves later because of the behavior of the channel managers? Or is it it a hangover? it, It has to be in the business plan right from the word go. So, for example, if a partner does bring an opportunity, there needs to be a a very open and clear, transparent lead registration process. And that works both ways. So if the partner brings a lead, it needs to be registered and it needs to be protected so that direct sales don't go or it doesn't get given to another partner. Equally, if the vendor brings something to the partner, that needs to be registered and the partner needs to be given time to qualify that lead and either close it or or something else. That kind of system needs to be in place. They're they're called lead or deal registration systems. It needs to be totally transparent. George, tell me, I'm constantly amazed by the amount of channel conflict where Vendors are competing with themselves and with their partners, and then partners within the vendor's ecosystem are in conflict. How do you prevent that? When an opportunity arises, you really need to get the people that think that they can get involved and and move it through the pipeline together. So there may be a direct salesperson, there may be a, a partner, you know, get them together and look and see who can add value and at what stages in, in the process. As an example, there was a, a direct sales guy with a named account, one of the major uh, chemical manufacturers in, in Germany. And he was very protective and said, you know, this is my account, I don't want partners getting involved. And then somebody pointed out to him the partner was married, or the managing director of the partner <laughs> was married to the daughter of the CEO of that chemical company and could really help things along. When this was explained to him, suddenly he realized that actually that partner could really help him and get him some inside information, which could be extremely useful. And you know, these, these are real-world examples. Ego um, really is the enemy, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Okay, so tell me this then, in terms of the onboarding process for new partners, because again, I see a lot of partnerships fall apart in that first 90 to 120 days. What are your observations and recommendations? Once you've recruited, you've selected them, you've shortlisted them, you've taken them through the process, you've contracted, what's your recommendations around onboarding a partner to set them up for success? The analogy here is a marriage. You've done the dating, you've done the engagement, you know, you've gone through the ceremony, the marriage ceremony and signed the register. The next stage is to consummate the marriage. <laughs> and the only way that that's going to happen, the most effective way, is if the partner and vendor close a deal together. Because 
you can do all the upfront sales training and technical training and everything else, but to really make it gel, you need an opportunity to be working on. So the advice I can give there is get an opportunity in place, either from the partner, if the partner can't do it, get one for the partner, and then work through that. Then the sales training has meaning, the technical training has relevance, and they learn on the job. And once you've done two or three of those, typically in the second one, you're not quite so involved with the partner, you're you're working together. And then on the third one, you're pretty much shadowing. And by the t- typically, by the time they've done their third deal, they've reached a level of self-sufficiency where they can run on their own a little bit. This is really interesting. It aligns very much with my own philosophy and what we're doing with our clients, which is that you uh, do a market segmentation strategy and a session to identify where which new logos you both want to go for and which expand accounts that you want to develop in particular. And then you create a pursuit plan for each of those. You work together and identify where you each bring strength to the proposition and who does what by when with whom and how you're going to report and all that kind of stuff. And then over the first 90 days, what you're doing is you're getting out there together to develop and qualify those opportunities and advance them or get out quickly if you discover that there's no opportunity there. Because I think one of the biggest reasons why partners go dark is that they're not making money. And I think certainly from my experience, if they don't make money, probably their second deal within the first 90 days, they're very likely just to keep the logo on their website, but never generate another penny. So I'm curious in terms of the ongoing training that partners and vendors need to do together and the frequency of communication, the frequency of touch, the cadence of accountability, that sort of thing. When you were working in the past with your clients or within the CAD industry, what did you find worked best in terms of the frequency of touch? The beginning of the relationship, the, the frequency of communication is high, especially if there is a, a deal that uh, is in the pipeline. And that can be anything from two or three times a day or to you know, once a week. So it is frequent when there's something on the table. However, in the opening stages of an engagement, you're touching base with your partner at least once a week to see how things are going. So there's blend of regular contact versus ad hoc contact. In those early phases, there needs, I believe there needs to be a formal meeting at least once a month, face-to-face, and then another formal meeting, which is the quarterly business review, once a quarter. And that then may involve not just the channel manager, but some of the executives of the business who need to know how things are going on and where improvements in, where their support is needed, that kind of thing. That's interesting. One of the things that we've had to build into our Road to Channel Excellence program is a partner-centric satisfaction tool where both sides identify the criteria that matter the most to them so that they can hold one another accountable. And we've built in a quarterly value review. So instead of the usual, let's say, how great we are, 
what we're doing is we're assessing our progress and making sure that all the time we're improving quarter by quarter so that we deepen the relationship. Because after you've invested all that time, money, resource, effort, and you've got so much vested in the partnership working, you don't want it to fall apart. And I think one of the biggest reasons why people will lose faith and drift apart is lack of communication. And as their businesses evolve, they may be evolving in different directions. So you need to know that. So you've got an early warning system. But equally, if you're evolving in the same direction, you want to both get better. So I think what's really key here is to have a regular scheduled mandatory and not to be pushed into the weeds meeting between the management and the operational people so that they can tell the kind truth. They can say, this is working, this isn't, you're performing well here, you're not performing well there, and you hold each other's feet to the fire. Why don't more organizations do that? Well, what you're talking about is is extremely important. And one of the, the most effective ways of helping a partner to develop and grow is benchmarking. And I mean benchmarking them against some of the successful partners in the vendor channel who have a very similar profile to the partner you're dealing with. And you can show them the types of activities, the types of resources that they apply and how they work and guide the partner and say, look, you know, if you do these two or three things, you could be as successful as this partner over here, who, by the way, their return on investment is right up here. And you could be up here because you have a very similar profile. So that is one of the the most powerful ways of getting their attention and giving them some guidance because then they can see, you know, how do I get from A to B? Well, again, this raises an interesting question. I absolutely agree. And I think it's critical. And it comes back to that trust question where the channel partners may be reticent to share their best practices for fear that other partners will catch up. But again, the proverb of a rising tide raises all boats. I think creating a culture of learning and collaboration and cooperation within the vendor's partner community is really key. Have you got any good examples of where people have been able to do that? Absolutely. I was at uh, one of the the big vendors organized uh, an annual event for sort of top-performing partners. And um, one of the partners was describing a sales process or a technique that he'd used. And this was a, a Swiss partner. And then the, another partner in the, in the room who was from Italy, an Italian partner, he started to ask this partner lots of questions about the size of his company. And, and then they realized that they were actually very similar in terms of their profile and the target markets they approached and so on. And he was extremely interested in the techniques that this partner in Switzerland used. And the partner in Switzerland was was quite happy to share it with them because Italy wasn't his territory. And this partner learned a lot and grew very rapidly after that. So then this vendor realized that what they needed to do was to encourage partners to then, if, if, if somebody had helped them, get them to turn it around and help their friends as well in the partner community or as people call it the partner ecosystem. So yes, it's it's extremely important to get that trust and collaboration going between the partners. And it can go a lot further because a few years later, those two partners started to work together 
Well, this brings me to the next really interesting point. What I'm starting to see more and more is partner selling with partner. And the vendor or the vendors are almost ancillary to it because it's the, the partners that typically have the closest relationship with the end customer. And what I'm starting to see is a trend. And I think what will happen is you'll start to get channel chiefs within the partners themselves. You starting to see that? We are, and I can give you an example. We were approached at one stage by an end customer, although we specialized in helping people to develop their channels, an end customer approached us. It was one of the big uh, TV uh, companies in the UK. And they said, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for a company that can provide us this, this, and this. And there were some very specific things about their skills, about their geographic location, the size of the companies, that kind of thing. And their basis was a database of, of one of the major players. And we said, well, why don't you go to that major player and ask them you know, to recommend a partner to you? And they said, we don't want to do that because all they'll do is try and sell it to us direct. And that's not what we want. So they asked us to say, could you find us and shortlist some partners who uh, have you think have the right skill sets and give us your top three, which we did. And they approached those partners and none of them could do what they could do. And in the end, what happened was they had to get two partners to work together to address the needs of the end customer. And those companies then, after two or three years of work, emerged and became very successful. Very interesting. I am curious to get your take on where you see the future of the channel. What are the trends that you're seeing and what might be some surprises around the corner that both channel partners and vendors need to prepare for? We've heard it for years and years. The access to the customers really today is very much in the hands of of partners. The vendors' products start to become a, a commodity and they really have to turn things around and look at the channel as the most important factor of their go-to-market strategy rather than making the direct sales force the king of the pile. So that's got to change. And the other thing that's got to change is the people who run the channels in the for the vendors need to have the, the skill sets of a successful channel manager, which... In fact, those skill sets are much higher than anything that a direct salesperson has because they not only need to be able to sell, they also need to understand how a business operates. They need to be able to coach the partner and the business, and they have to have extremely good management skills. And very often, some of the best channel managers have run their own businesses and understands how businesses actually operate. So there's that aspect of being good at sales, but also being good at uh, understanding how a business operates. Well, a channel manager, actually, when you look at their profile for the top performers, they're very closely aligned to a general manager profile. And a channel chief actually has more characteristics in common with a chief executive than they do with a VP of sales. It's a very tough job. I think channel sales management is probably the hardest job there is in sales. Yes, it is. I totally agree with you. So... How come after 30, 40 years of the channel existing and 75% of all products 
worldwide being sold through partners and 90% of tech being sold through partners by 2026. It's still the gingerhead, illegitimate, ugly stepdaughter of direct sales. That's a tough one, but I think it comes down to short-termism mainly and people wanting to see immediate results. And they seem to think that that the right way of doing it is to, and the quickest way to do it is to have it all under your control through direct sales. But it is very short-term thinking because if you do have a product that is successful, you're, you're soon not going to be able to fulfill without uh, a channel in place. Couldn't agree more. I have a couple of questions. First of all, thank you. That's been incredibly insightful. If you look back 20 years ago and you were advising your younger self, what advice would you give for somebody just starting out their career in the channel that would have probably saved you quite a lot of time and heartache? The thing that was toughest for me was understanding how businesses operate and make their money and, uh, and what drives them. I came from a, a direct sales background. I had to rely on partners to fulfill some of the things that we couldn't do ourselves. But it really wasn't until you know, I started to get deep beneath the covers of how businesses operate that I really started to be able to add value and understand why one partner was good versus another one. So if there was something, you know, if, if you can get some experience with have, being able to work on both sides of the fence, then that would be my advice is, you know, go and perhaps work for a partner and maybe go and work for a smaller business where you can see uh, all aspects of how the business operates. I think when you've got that understanding then you can empathize and work with and uh, help the partner that you support when you're working for the vendor. Very good advice. In fact, I delivered a podcast on exactly this subject and it mirrors what you've just said. So I completely agree. George, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Masses of insight. Any final words that you want to offer the audience? Always put yourself in the shoes of the partner whenever you can. Try and see things from their perspective. Great advice. So, George Desitz, thank you very much for being such a, an insightful guest uh, today. This is Marcus Kauke from the Inquisitor podcast signing off. If any of you want to get in touch, please do call me on 07515 You can check out George on the website. I won't spell his name here, but I will put it on the copy if you want to get in contact with him. And if any of you are interested in beta testing our Road to Channel Excellence program with the vendor and the partners working together in order to create alignment and a common sales language, a common sales methodology, and go to market with real live opportunities, then please email me at m-c-a-u-c-h-i at sandler, S-A-N-D-L-E-R.com. That's Marcus Kauke signing off. Thank you very much.